Hey, all you nature nerds. This is You're Gonna Die Out There Christmas Edition 2022. Happy Holidays! Happy holidays. <laughs> Wild memories. <laughs> we hope you all had a beautiful holiday. Just a wonderful. Whatever, however you celebrate it. Wonderful day with your family. Just eating some dips. I don't know. That's what we do. Burning a Yule log. <laughs> Maybe it's cold where you're at. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, uh, you know, tropical. It's possible. Uh, I'm going to be telling a cold story today, though. We need some cold stories over here anyway, but I'm sure for those that are in the midst of those big um, winter storms, they're probably like, enough already. <laughs> Make it stop. Yeah, my sister told me the other day that she who, she's in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, she was saying that they were getting like 12 inches of snow. And I was like, no, thank you. It's like I would want a flurry, you know, just a just a nice little flurry. Just give me a flurry some and then go away. Yeah. Or, you know, just like. A couple of days of yeah. some snow mm -hmm. and then not have it anymore. But like nice snow, not like the wet snow that we would like get in Georgia. The ones that the like snow. sleet and hit yeah. you in the yeah. face yeah. and it's, not that. it hurts. It's like little tiny knives. Yeah. Just like the fluffiest snow ever. Like one time, I think I've told it, but we went up to Maine when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And I remember just standing and the flakes were like huge. They were huge. And just like so <laughs> it was so quiet. I'd never been anywhere so quiet before. So fluffy. So fluffy. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. And then I went inside and I had like a million hot chocolates. Oh, so nice. Mm -hmm. We went to Colorado when I was a kid. Oh. We went skiing. That's when I was like skiing. I was like nine or 10. No poles. Just, just flying like... around. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I think I eventually got some poles though. But yeah, just like so cold, so frozen. Mm-hmm. And then I went into the hot tub. I feel like I've told you the story. <laughs> and I stayed in for too long. And then I was just like a floppy... <laughs> piece of I was like I was like I can't move <laughs> just a wet noodle just learning <laughs> learning the difference between extreme cold and extreme heat and what <laughs> right. it does to the body which apparently is very good for you it's supposed to be if you if you pay attention to like the you know Norway Sweden Finland Japan no I mean just listen to the Huberman lab yes, I mean he true. talks about it yeah. all the time yeah, how yeah. like you know you go into a sauna at a certain degrees for a certain amount of time mm -hmm. it's like basically like a workout like you don't even have to work out you can just right. go do that I told my husband, I was like, let's get a sauna. He's like, yeah, no. <laughs> You're like, why not? <laughs> He's like, like, just stand outside. Just stand outside. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you're talking about extreme temperatures because, I mean, again, that's what we'll be talking about today. Oh, that's great. So well, exciting. before you get started, yes. I have some science news to share. Let's hear it. And it's a little bit, I mean, I don't know if it's extreme weather or not. I have some new publication. That was from December 7th in, let's see, where is it? In Nature. Oh. And it is the oldest ever DNA shows mastodons roamed Greenland two million years ago. Oh. Yeah, they say they got some genetic material from the permafrost. Mm -hmm. And it showed that the northern part of the island was once a lush forest, which now it's not. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Greenland. It's... <laughs> It's icy. It's more icy than Iceland, right? 
That's, yeah. That's how I remember them is that Greenland has ice and Iceland is not as... Is, Iceland yeah, is green. It's more green. Yeah, not yeah, as icy. Yeah. Exactly. So the northeastern tip of Greenland is a very barren now. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, there's hardly any plants or wildlife that can live there. Mm-hmm. But they found this, like I said, two million year old DNA sequence. It's the oldest ever obtained, which I just think is pretty cool. Oh, wow. And they took it, like I said, from the permafrost. So that's frozen soil. They maybe got a core or something. It doesn't really say. <laughs> <laughs> we assume. Right. They said that no one would have predicted this ecosystem in northern Greenland at this time, at that time in the world, right, right. in history. But this was a paleogeneticist at the University of Copenhagen. They led a study, and this is Dr. Esk Willersliv. I'm sure I said that perfectly. Perfectly. Uh-huh. And they say it's pretty awesome. And it's not in a million years you would expect a ma- mastodon up there. So in 2021, their team obtained partial genomes from this million-year-old ma- mammoth remains from Siberia, which kind of, I guess they say, shattered the record for ancient DNA preservation. Hmm. But that was only a million years ago. Hmm. This was two million years ago. And as it turned out, some of the samples have been, these samples have been sitting in a freezer in Copenhagen since 2006. But they were just waiting, I guess, for the right kind of... Funding. They were waiting on funding, Jen. Probably, <laughs> probably funding, although they say that they were, they periodically tested the, the sediment as methods for extracting and sequencing ancient DNA improved. A couple of years ago, they got their first success. They sifted through more than 16 billion DNA fragments. Oh, that's a lot. One at a time. (laughs) I don't know how that works, but in my mind, it's like one. One. Check. (laughs) Two. Two. Yeah. Check. Absolutely. And those are from many from modern microorganisms that had contained or contaminated the samples to identify shards of the authentic ancient DNA. They say it's a massive sequencing effort. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it makes sense. So when the team matched these sequences to databases of genomes from modern plants and animals, which sometimes differ substantially from those of the organisms from like ancient times. Yeah. Yeah. So they got this snapshot of two million years ago and they say that Greenland was much warmer, but the researchers totally didn't expect for the DNA sequences to reveal forests of poplar and spruce and yew trees. Oh, yew trees. Uh Uh-huh. And those now typically found at like lower latitudes, yeah. Alongside uh, sedges, shrubs, and birch tree species that still grow in Greenland. And for animal life, they found the mastodons, mm-hmm. which are extinct relatives of the elephants. I'm going to talk about that in a second. As well as rodents, geese, rabbits, and even more surprises such as reindeers. According to paleontologists, mm-hmm. should have never been there. They should not have survived. They should never have been around during that time. So mastodons were thought to have lived in North American forests and their remains have never, ever been found in Greenland. He said, you would have expected such gigantic animals to be hard to miss in the fossil record. It's like, what were you guys doing? (laughs) You miss these fossils. But such findings show the potential of ancient sedimentary DNA to yield surprising insights about past ecosystems. So they say their team's work could say something about how future ecosystems will respond to climate change, as well as how these organisms will have the ability to adapt. That's cool. Over time. Yeah. So one, just really quick, because I was like, okay, mastodon and mammoths. I wanted to just know the like, difference. Yeah. Because I hadn't really, I mean, it's not something I've sat and really 
thought about, but I'm going to tell you. I'm like, either they're the same or one's older than the other. <laughs> <laughs> so they say mastodons, of course, were prehistoric relatives of today's elephants. We know that. They had tusks, floppy ears, and a long nose, and as well as the woolly mammoths. They're members of the order Probestidae. I don't know if I said that right. Cool, because they got big noses. I guess so. So mastodons and woolly mammoths both look like the ancient elephants, but they're separate species. The big difference between them is when they appeared on Earth. So mammoths appeared about 5 million years ago in Africa, and mastodons, on the other hand, appeared about 27 to 30 million years ago, primarily in North and Central America. Oh. Yeah. And so mastodons are slightly smaller than mammoths. They were both herbivores. They ate different, but they ate differently. Mastodons had blunt cone-shaped molars that would crush vegetation while mammoths had rigid molars to cut plants, much like today's elephants. That's cool. Yeah. So I guess it's just a little bit different than their appearance, but mostly. Mm-hmm. But see, they only found them, the fossils, in North and Central America. And now they know because of digging into the permafrost yeah. that they were in Greenland. They're just chilling out in Greenland. So I'm saying, like, let's get some more permafrost. Let's do it. From all over. Dig it all up. Go like go through <laughs> those billions and billions of DNA sequences. Yeah, see what else is there. It's fine. That's easy. Easy I work. It. I love it. <laughs> I, I guess I'll also think of mammoths as being a little bit different because they all sound like Ray Romano. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm like staring like, at it you. It took me a minute. Joke. I was like, like, what are you talking about? You know what's so funny about that is that <laughs> when I was in uh, in school doing my, my master's, it was mm-hmm. like a group of us, you know, our cohort. Yeah. And there was this guy. He was from, oh, gosh, like Saudi Arabia or somewhere. Super nice. He was just like so nice and very quiet. Mm-hmm. And one day he was just like, my favorite movie of all time is Ice Age. And I was like, you are the best. <laughs> but- that is so pure. It is. It was so wholesome. And he was like super, he was such a nice person. And like when he was saying it, his, he had like a little twinkle in his eye. And it made me immediately love that movie more. I think right. I went and I was like, well, I need to watch it because yeah. I don't think it was something I was watching at that time. That movie's so great, Ice Age. Yeah, it is, it's pretty fun. It's a good times. Anyway. Speaking of Ice Ages. Oh. You, you... <laughs> We're going to talk about some icy stuff so, today, Jen. See, there was, a se- there was like a segue. A little, se- little segue. Yeah. What, what, what? Yeah, so I, I think that when most people, at least people that we know from the U.S. or even like Europe or whatever, when they think about Christmas, they're like, you know, white Christmas, like snow. Yeah. The holiday season. Uh-huh. You know, even if you're talking about Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Yule, or, or like a winter solstice, right? Yes. Festivus even. I mean. Uh, yeah. There's there's snow. There's snow happening. It's cold. I mean, unless you're in Guam. I mean, that's true. Unless you're in Guam. But I'm saying most people that, right. we, that we talk to or know. Yeah. Right. From the U.S. Anyway. Uh, so I decided that I would talk about something that's like kind of a miracle that I find fascinating. Okay. Yeah. I love miracles. A Christmas <laughs> miracle, if you will. Uh, Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off with a story because that's always fun. Okay. I'm excited. Jen, it's December 20th, 1980. Oh, okay. oh I know exactly what I was doing. I'm not even time. one. I'm not even one yet. I'm pretty sure I had some like little tiny corduroy pants on. Definitely. And some little shoes. Absolutely. With like, I don't know, Charlie Brown on them. 100%. Okay. So we're in Minnesota. This is just south of Langby, Minnesota. It's the middle of the night. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a 19 year old girl, Jean Hillard. She's driving home in the middle of the night. I don't know if she went to a party. I don't know what the circumstances were that she was out in the middle of the night. 
It's icy. It's cold. It's snow. She's 19. She <laughs> she's was out 19. partying. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, this road is super familiar for her because she's on her way home and her car ends up sliding off the road. Okay. She can't get out of the ditch. She's like, I'm going to go walk over to this house of a friend of my parents. He's a cattle rancher. Wally Nelson. It's about two miles away. Mm-hmm. Just remember we're in Minnesota in December. Minnesota. Minnesota. There are two problems with this. The temperature that night was down to 22 degrees Fahrenheit below zero. Ew. Secondly, she was only wearing a, like cowboy boots, mm-hmm. a coat and mittens. I mean, she has on clothes, but you know, as far <laughs> as far as like... I'm all like, dang, she was really partying. <laughs> it was a crazy party. 1980. What? what? Uh, no. Yeah. So she's wearing like, you know, whatever her outfit was. Some neon. <laughs> Just a lot of neon. Actually, I think it's still like disco time. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah. yeah. Uh, a coat and some mittens and her cowboy boots, which okay. cowboy boots are not like the greatest in terms of like no. insulation. Hopefully They're, she like, had on thin. some thick socks. I mean, you hope so. Yeah. So she makes it about 15 feet from Nelson's house and she trips. Oh, no. She falls. No. She's not entirely sure what happens, but she ends up passing out. She She crawled on her hands and knees at some point, passes out basically on his doorstep. Uh huh. There she is for the rest of the night. Ugh. At seven a.m., Nelson gets up. You know, probably makes his coffee. How old is he? I don't. He's older. He's an older gentleman. It didn't say in the in the article. Okay. I'm just. I'm just. He's like. He's like a cattle rancher. I don't know. He's. Well, I'm sure he gets up early. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, seven. Well, he's at at seven. I so mean, he's making his coffee. Making his coffee. Doing his thing. Looks out the front window. He sees her, Jean, on the ground. He knows who she is. Uh huh. She is Ashen. Her eyes are wide open, Jen. Oh, weird. wide open. Creepy. And he's like, holy crap. He says, uh, he told Minnesota Public Radio in an interview in 2018. Oh. This is like many years later. Uh-huh. He says, I was so damn surprised when I saw that little hunk out in the yard. I grabbed her by the collar and skidded her into the porch. I thought she was dead, froze stiffer than a board, but I saw a few bubbles coming out of her nose. Oh my God. So she's like barely alive. Uh huh. So, There's someone else who's at the house with them. I don't know if it's his wife or it's like another guy, like a ranch hand or something like that. They lift her up and they put her in the car. She was so frozen, they couldn't bend her body. So she had to be put in the back seat diagonally. Okay. Throw her in the back. (laughs) Just like, like an icicle. Oh, my gosh. She gets to Boston Hospital. Her pulse measured barely 12 beats per minute. So just so you know, normal, like resting heartbeat is 65 to 80. Yeah, depending on other things. But yeah, so 12 beats a minute. Her skin was so stiff, they couldn't puncture it with a hypodermic needle. Oh, my. So her body temperature was so low, it didn't register on her thermometer. And like I said, her face was ashen. Her eyes were open, solid, and unresponsive to light. So creepy. That is. They start putting, like, heating pads around her. After two to three hours of kind of gradually warming her up, she actually begins to thaw out. And by noon, she's alert and she's talking with all the nurses and doctors. Her family is there. She didn't get any frostbite. She only had some like kind of residual numbing of her toes, but Uh no permanent effects. She doesn't even remember what happened. She just thinks like, I fell asleep and I woke up in the hospital. I mean, okay, I I don't mean to like say anything, but yeah. Was she drunk? I mean, I'm assuming. We'll talk I mean, about that a little bit later. Okay. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, like, she had to be... <laughs> like, kind of aware of what was happening, maybe? Just, well, I mean, to pass out like that. Yeah. 
there's got to be something else going on than just I'm tired. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to fall. Well, she fell. So they think maybe she hit her head or something. Oh, OK. But yeah. So she just says, I, fe- I felt I, I was it was like I fell asleep and I woke up in the hospital. That's what she told Minnesota Public wow. Radio. Yeah. So today, Jen, we're going to talk about people who have been frozen and unfrozen. Wow. OK. So cool. OK. That is crazy. Uh, I don't know if it's like such a Christmassy <laughs> thing. It's but a cool it's thing. kind of. Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean. The holiday season it kind of centers around some like miraculous uh-huh. things, you know, in different religions and how people celebrate. So I thought this was an interesting kind of sciencey miracle. Yes. If you will. Yeah. I love it. So we have we have talked about people in other stories who are like on an adventure and they experience extreme hypothermia, frostbite, all that stuff. Like Pam Bales, right? And mm-hmm. she got that guy off the mountain. The Everest story, you know, those are extreme situations where, you know, they got through it with the help of another person or like sheer determination. But today I want to talk about like everyday people who have been frozen and unfrozen. and People live to like tell you story. and me. People like you and me, Jen. Just going for a walk in the forest and it's snowy and... They freeze. You just are real drunk and just pass out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, let's go really quick back to Jean. We'll talk about hypothermia, what happens to human bodies when okay. they're hypothermic. So hypothermia, for those of you who don't know, is defined as a core body temperature less than 35 degrees Celsius. That's 95 degrees Fahrenheit. And it results from a prolonged exposure to cold environment or drugs, or they might have underlying pathologic conditions, right, that cause them to, like... Their blood not to circulate all the way down Versus to their extremities. Hyperthermia. Like right. <laughs> Sorry, I just read an article about this guy who died from hyperthermia. Is that like uh, when you just light it's on fire? Like, what is that? Too much heat. Yeah. So is no, that instantaneous it was, combustion. I just read something? this. I just read this article about this guy who died of hyperthermia in like some Alabama prison oh, because it was too hot and he baked. Oh. Like cooked in his cell. Oh, no. And was dead. That, it was in the news like a couple of days ago. I feel like we're at the most that could happen to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I felt like that some days. <laughs> like, no, I mean, but terrible, right? That I would mean, be horrible. Honestly. I feel, yeah, I feel like if we're going to compare the two, you know, like yeah. hypo versus Maybe hyper. Maybe we'll do another yeah, episode I would, about that. I would rather go cold. Me too. Than hot. Oh. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, poor guy. Anyway. That sounds awful. All right. Yeah. So victims of hypothermia can appear to be clinically dead because their brain and cardiovascular function become super depressed. Um, but it's totally possible to resuscitate them and for them to retain their neurological condition, like normal brain function. Because they just turn to like a slushy. Essentially. Yes. <laughs> In a lot of cases, like you mentioned, alcohol or drug intoxication are the dominant precipitating factors. Uh, and just for some, I guess, rates, in the U.S., uh, annually, there are about 25,000 deaths from hypothermia in Britain, 20,000. And then I found this kind of surprising, but then maybe it's not. I don't know. In Canada, there are 8,000 deaths a year. I'm oh. like, maybe it's just because everybody knows better in Canada. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're just, they're Canadian. They just, yeah, they just know better. They're like, listen, <laughs> you poor people down there. We know what we're doing. Right. We got this. Yeah. There are suggestions that the unofficial number of hypothermia victims or related deaths is substantially higher, particularly in elderly people. And I was also thinking about, you know, people who are houseless or homeless, right? Mm-hmm. Living on the streets mm-hmm. for whatever reason, you know, that might be, there might be more people who die that way, uh, hypothermia. But maybe it's reported as something different, like a drug overdose or something like that. 
Yeah. What you always hear about, though, too, is like elderly people. Yeah. In their home and nobody's checking on them and maybe yeah. their heat isn't working or they didn't. And they can't fix it yeah, or, or something. something. Yeah. Yeah. So sad. Mm-hmm. My gosh, Jen. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm so worried. Okay. It is. <laughs> Sorry. <It's> like, <laughs> Megan's so worried about just like being alone and old. And just randomly dying. Don't worry. I'll uh, take care of you. Okay, good. It is very important to remember, though, that if a hypothermic victim is alive when rescued but dies during recovery treatment and there's no other significant trauma or disease, that suggests that the death might have resulted from either inappropriate or ineffective treatment or no treatment at all. So usually if they're going to die and they've gotten to the hospital, that death isn't from the hypothermia. It's from whatever was done to them after. Oh, okay. Which is kind of random to think about. Yeah. And there's this saying, medical specialists in cold climates have this saying, they say, nobody is dead until warm and dead. So it took me a minute to like wrap my head around that. Yeah, makes sense. But basically, you can be super cold, but not really dead. You have to be warmed up and then nothing is happening for you to be dead. So a long time ago, I wonder how many people were buried alive because they were too cold and they thought they were dead. Yeah. Ew. And they were just like, oh, they must be dead. Yeah. And then they buried them. And they got warmer and they woke up. And then, <laughs> and then they, they didn't they have died. the bell. They didn't have the <laughs> didn't string have the to pull the bell. Because the, it was too cold in the ground to like, whatever. Anyway, that's Let's just not creepy. think about Let's that. not think about it. Okay. This is um, a Christmas miracle, damn it. <laughs> the realization that extreme hypothermia isn't necessarily the end of life has become the basis of the treatment for hypothermia in itself. And actually, in controlled conditions, lowering the body temperature can cool down the m- metabolism and reduce the body's need for oxygen. So like you were saying with like the Huberman lab, right? Like some people do extreme cold therapy mm-hmm. to kind of like if they have a lot of inflammation or whatever, like that can sometimes help with conditions that people might have. So in medical settings or on rare occasions elsewhere, a chilled body can put the brakes on the whole dying process long enough to deal with a low pulse, at least for a while. So like some people might have something that they're going to die from, but if they're put in like, I mean, I'm not going to say cold storage, but like, you know, ice baths or something that might Mm -hmm. help them recover. Right. Something to think about. What's notable in Jean's case is the extreme nature of her state of hypothermia. So she was barely, ended up 27 degrees Celsius. It was a full 10 degrees below that of a healthy human. So what is that, like 85 degrees Fahrenheit? Mm -hmm. She was apparently frozen, but... George Sather, who was the physician who treated her, said the body was cold, completely solid, just like a piece of meat out of a deep freeze. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> so, uh. Uh, yet within a few hours, warmed by heating pads, she returned to a state of health. Like I said, she was talking by noon. She had a little bit of numb, blistered toes, but she was discharged very soon after. And she, I, I don't really like the way the article wrote this, but they said she lived a, quote, unremarkable life, unaffected by her night as a human popsicle. <laughs> Really? I know. I'm sure she did a lot of remarkable things. She was probably great. She was great. I mean, she's still alive? I did not check up to see if she oh, was still okay. alive. But I'm I, sure she yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, she was, like, she was 19. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Um, so, and as we remember from our very first introduction to like molecules and water and different states of matter, right? Water, when it freezes, expands, which is not the status quo for most molecules. Mm-hmm. It takes up a greater volume. Than a so- as a solid than it did, did as a liquid. So if we imagine putting a full glass uh, bottle of water or any liquid that contains water, beer, soda, whatever, mm-hmm. into the freezer, let's say the bottle mimics the, the cell walls. When the frozen water expands, that's bad news for cells and tissues because it risks swelling to the point of breaking and destroying the cell. Right, right. So she got to this weird point where she never got broke. 
essentially. Uh-huh. Like her her cells were fine. And actually, that's what um, frostbite is, is that the little ice crystals bloom in the wrong place. They can pierce the cell membranes and then they make those cells die. They turn black. Mm. I mean, that's what's happening mm-hmm. is that you have too much ice in your cells yeah. in those areas. Yeah. But she never got to that point. So she was kind of like... A little bit slushy. Because how many hours was she there? Like seven like hours? six hours, or roughly. Six? Yeah. Okay. There are a lot of questions about how she survived the freezing. You know, scientists think maybe it was her specific tissues, like her specific body chemistry, tissues, whatever. Maybe it had to do with how frozen she was. Um, you know, technically she wasn't at a temperature that was considered freezing. She was far above freezing. So yeah, like maybe the water wasn't crystallizing. She didn't have any frostbite. So those are things that we can consider. But scientists say with little to go on other than a few similar shocking accounts, doctors and scientists can only speculate whether Hillard's frozen body was typical or indeed strangely unique in its ability to withstand such an extreme change of state. Hmm. So we're going to talk about some more stories, but really quickly, just because they mentioned a couple of animals in the article, but I like pulled out that information, I did want to do a little, I mean, it's not really like a top five. It's just five animals adapted to survive extreme cold i mean obviously top five top five (laughs) (laughs) obviously we're just like not one of those animals yeah no (laughs) but yeah let's talk a little bit about some animals because i i found these interesting they did have something in the article about like a woodhouse toad that like basically becomes like a popsicle Mm -hmm. and then thaws out or remember we talked about the the bats yeah that become like popsicle popsicle. yeah Yeah. and then they just thaw out and they're good Mm -hmm. to go yeah there's lots of animals who can do that torpor and all that business yes so all right number one and this is in no order number one number one (laughs) top top one top one (laughs) uh the arctic fox with its stunning white winter coat the arctic fox is extremely well equipped to handle freezing conditions they're so cute they're super cute yeah and they do that thing where they like i feel like all foxes do this when they hunt in the snow where they like find what they're gonna hunt and then they like jump up and just like stick their head into the ground oh do you know talking have you ever seen that no so freaking cute but what do they say what do you mean about? What does the fox say? <laughs> sorry, I couldn't, I, sorry, guys. It's you, you just can't resist. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's irresistible. It's automatic. It is. One day the young kids won't know what we're talking about. No, they won't. All right. So Arctic foxes have super thick coats that provides insulation to them. They have hair on the pads of their feet that stop them from slipping on the ice. Very cool. They can curl their thick, bushy tails around their nose and face to keep oh, them warm, which oh, is so adorable. Oh, my gosh. Um, in winter, the white fur acts as camouflage to help hide them from their... It says from their prey. Oh, yeah, because they need to eat. Sorry. I was thinking predators, but yeah, no, prey. Yeah. Prey can't see So they them. can hunt. So they can hunt. Yeah. And then they survive by eating a, a varied diet, including dead seals and bird eggs. Oh. So they, they you know, they'll eat whatever. And then people kill them to wear them and wrap we're... their cute little tails around our face <laughs> to keep it warm. Because yeah. we're shitty. <laughs> well, you know, people need to be warm. Always. The real, like, you know, native people that were there and like really mm. needed to stay warm. Yeah. Gotta do it. You gotta do it. Well, and at least there was a relationship there. Between was, nature and like, yeah. yes, yeah, not just like wearing a fur coat to not like, like the I'm opera. Gonna, gonna club you, yeah, and so some rich lady can wear you, yeah, yes. exactly. Ew. Number two, the polar bear. We have talked about some of these in this list here, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to retain heat, they have a thick layer of fur, ten centimeters, a uh, layer of an insulating fat, and small ears. So I guess their ears don't get cold. <laughs> their black nose and foot pads absorb sunshine to help keep them warm. To avoid overheating, they move slowly and rest often. And will bite your head. And they will bite your head. There's a whole episode we did on polar bears. I'm not going to talk too much about them. Again, their white coat 
acts as camouflage when they're hunting. And they have those, we, I, I definitely talked about this, I know, in the episode that they have really wide paws and claws for the ice, for the ice yeah. and uh, swimming, catching prey, digging dens in the snow, all that stuff. Yeah, so. they're the coolest, really. And to rip your head off. Except they, your head looks like a juicy melon. <laughs> a grape, because it like pops in your mouth. Oh. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, number three, the Emperor Penguin, which I think you talked about on... Yes. Was it a pa- patron episode? I can't patron? remember because I did two where we talked about yeah. those Antarctic uh, expeditions. Yeah. yeah. I think it was the one because we talked about how you brought back the penguin eggs. Yeah. Yeah. They are found in the Southern Hemisphere. They have heavy bones, allowing them to stay underwater. Their wings are shaped like flippers and they have watertight feathers. They're intelligent and found huddling together to keep themselves warm and protect themselves from predators. Number four is the musk ox, most commonly found in North America. They have adaptations to include two layers of fur, a layer that is short and a layer that is long. That's meant to trap heat and protect themselves from the weather, which reminded me of otters. They also have like kind of like super dense fur Mm -hmm. to like trap air. They have large and hard hooves so they can break the ice to find water to drink. Very important. Mm -hmm. Stay hydrated. In the winter, they huddle together in groups to retain heat, which I did. Not realize, but totally makes sense. It does. Mm-hmm. And number five, this is very holiday, a reindeer. A reindeer. <laughs> uh, they live in and around the Arctic Circle. In some habitats in the winter temperatures, when they push close to minus negative 70 degrees centigrade. Centigrade? Just really? Right. In order to survive this extreme cold, reindeer have extra insulating hollow fur, which covers their entire bodies from the tips of their noses to the bottoms of their feet. The only place they're not covered in fur is their eyeballs, which that would be really weird if they had furry <laughs> eyeballs. <laughs> Just... The thought that just popped in my brain. They have great big feet, which act as snowshoes in the winter to help them stay stable on the soft ground and help them stay stable on the snow and then the soft ground in the summer. And they make excellent paddles for swimming. So when the snow comes, their hooves harden and the edges sharpen to make them perfect shovels to shift the snow and get to the food underneath. And they have magic dust so they can fly. That's true. Oh, and uniquely in the deer family, antlers grow on both male and females, which I think you might have talked about when you talked about the Sami people, right? That was a long time ago, Megan. Yeah, I, I know. can only retain so much information in it's my years tiny and years brain. Ago. The two that I thought might have been on there mm-hmm. would have been the bison. Oh yeah, yeah or yeah. moose. That's true. Those are two that I was expecting. I, you know what? I'm disappointed. I'm so. I, listen, I'm really. Sorry. Can you do a top ten? I need. <laughs> I need more. <clears throat> top ten. <laughs> <laughs> I did read this great article though by this woman Donna Vicroy in the Chicago Tribune. It was she wrote it in 2018. It was entitled "Humans Are Cold Weather Weaklings Compared to Birds, Fish, Rabbits." We're weaklings. <laughs> we are weaklings. In everything except that we like have these stupid big brains that we can be like, "Give me that gun," <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, um, humans have furnaces, heated blankets, and under armor, she says, at their disposal. Yet we wonder if we can make it from house from the house to the car without freezing solid. But like, I like how she then goes in to talk about how there are these like tiny songbirds in Illinois that just like do their thing all winter long. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like negative 28 degrees outside. And they're like, Doo-doo-doo. it's it's just insane wind chills, you know, uh-huh. Illinois. It's mm-hmm. like super cold. And they're just like doing it. They're doing it. Yeah, and we're not. Yeah, I tried to explain cold, like what it's like to live in perpetual coldness throughout mm-hmm. the winter to my Islander husband. I was like, yeah, you know, you got to go outside, you mm-hmm. know, like an hour before you're going to leave. Mm-hmm. 
turn your turn car, car on. Because he always, he never really got the whole point of the defrost. Oh. The button for like the back window defrost. Right, you don't really right. need it here. Yeah. It doesn't. I've used it like four or five times. Just he w- realized like what it was. Day. He didn't know what it was for. He's like, yeah. I never understood what that. He never understood what the lines were because <laughs> like, he's like, I thought it was like an antenna or something. It's a safety feature. Yeah, and so I was like, you got to go out. You got to turn all that on. You got to turn your car on and just let mm-hmm. it run for like an hour or thirty minutes, Forever. just just so you can drive. Yeah. Or if you don't, and you're running late, then you got to do like grab your driver's license and try to chip all the <laughs> ice off your windshield. Right, right. Or like you see those videos of people who like go get boiling water and throw it on their windshield. Oh my gosh, I almost posted. I saw it was a I don't know TikTok or whatever real yeah, yeah. of a guy using a flamethrower <laughs> to get all the ice. I somebody please tell me you saw this because I was That's gonna amazing. put it as a story. <laughs> and yeah, he has a flamethrower. It's just like getting all the snow off his driveway, and every now and then he's like meh, 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 like shoots it up in the air <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing it was, oh anyway yeah georgia is such a weird place but we did get frost uh-huh. a lot and my parents always kept too many things in the garage to put you know the car, car in, in the garage yes, yeah yes. and so they would end up having one of those like hard scrapey things yeah, you know it's yeah, like yeah. window scrapers window scraper. I, but i hate that sound it's like nails on a chalkboard to me Oh, when it's like, <laughs> and you're like, Ugh. yeah, rough. That's cold. That's the cold life right there. That's right. Yep. I miss it and I don't miss it. I know. Same, same, same. So Donna interviewed this guy, Mike Conrath. He's the director of Sagawa Environmental Learning Center in Lemont, uh, Illinois. He says these animals are well. Ad- He's talking about the little birds, like little birds. Mm-hmm. Okay, these animals are well adapted to this environment. They have lived in it for thousands and thousands of years. Still, some birds do expire. I mean, they die, right? <laughs> especially on e- <laughs> their evenings. expiration date on the side. <laughs> it came up, um, especially on evenings uh, where the temperatures drop well below zero. Uh-huh. And he goes on to talk about how nature has blessed wildlife with a built-in ability to survive harsh elements. Depending on the species, he said, sometimes that mechanism requires them to eat copious amounts of food. Other times it calls for them to not eat at all. So basically, they go on to talk about how birds are just like from dawn until dusk in the winter, just eating, foraging all the time, trying to find something to eat so that they can keep enough fat. Uh-huh. to keep themselves warm. He says the fat layer enables them to go into a state of hypothermia and stay there throughout the evening. So they'll basically just shiver and be hypothermic until Aww. they wake up in the morning and go forage again. That sounds very uncomfortable. It sounds horrible, but I I mean, I guess it's like just what people know or people, what birds know. Yeah. They're just like, this is our existence. Time to shiver. We're tiny. This is how it is. Yes. And they typically build like their nests during that time in places that are protected from the wind. I wonder what they eat in the wintertime. doesn't seem like there's a lot so out there. So it says finding food is the biggest thing for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look for seeds and pine cones hanging on branches as well as backyard feeders. So backyard feeders are like a big boon for all of these like little tiny Aww. birds. I which, hope a lot of you guys have backyard feeders. Yeah. If you're in Illinois, go Do put it. a backyard feeder yeah. and then put a little GoPro and then put it online and send us a link and we will totally watch it. Yeah, we'll totally follow that. I love people's backyard feeder cam- cameras. Yeah. They're so cool. I love all the people that try to turn themselves into a giant flower so that they'll get a hummingbird. The hummingbird ones? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's that guy who, like, he does all the stuff. Yeah. And, it's- and there's, like, I don't know if it's the same guy who, like, can call a hummingbird to him. He has, like, a name for it or something. Oh, I don't know. He's I like, Jack. That. And then the bird comes over. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. So Conrad said he and his wife maintain eight feeders. They use thistle, millet, safflower, 
and sunflower seeds, as well as suet with berries and nuts at their house. Each species of bird, from nuthatch to cardinals, can find what they need to build up that essential fat layer that helps them get through the night. So it's important to give them a variety. So find out what local birds are around, you know, like (laughs) just like putting things that none of the birds around you would want you just you throw know. some like jolly ranchers out there <laughs> this is good right <laughs> the squirrels are like this is amazing <laughs> right although they'd be sleeping mm-hmm. he says as long as they can find food they do pretty good but when snow is on the ground a lot of their natural food is covered and i'm i'm assuming that that is maybe some of the higher death toll times for birds right so are we putting food out into feeders because we took up all right. The, yeah. Because yeah. we took their habitat to put our big stupid houses on. And I, so now we need to put because I imagine, you know, they've adapted to live in these areas mm-hmm. without like more urban having areas. feeders. Yeah, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. And and yeah, I agree with you that maybe it's like a mitigating mm-hmm. thing that we can do to help them because, yeah, now they don't have that. Because we've messed up their space. habitat. Yeah. yeah. Poor birds. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some cold blooded fish. That can survive in water that dips to 37 to 38 degrees. I believe that's a Fahrenheit. Unlike birds that bulk up through the season, fish slow, slow things down, eating only when they can. So they're able to adjust the te- to the temperature around them. The biggest thing for them is the oxygen levels. Mm-hmm. So all it takes is one inch of snow cover on a lake to eliminate 50% of the sunlight that gets into the water. And that cuts down on the amount of photosynthesis by algae, making oxygen levels lower in the water. So turtles and frogs usually go into like a state of hibernation or like they'll bury themselves mm-hmm. into the mud and just like they don't do shit until it gets Same warmer. with like alligators, right? Yeah. Didn't we they just talk like about that? Go to the bottom. Yeah. They stuff themselves someplace and, and they're they like, just, I'm just going to chill here. They just literally chill there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he was talking about actually there's a tree frog that freezes solid. It has an antifreeze product in its blood that keeps what? the cells from getting damaged. It can survive regardless of how cold it gets. And I just want to say that we're going to talk about something later uh-huh. that does, I, I mean, I think it's like humans trying to mimic this Okay. idea. Okay. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about mammals. Uh, the smallest mammal in this region in Illinois area is also the animal that has the toughest time in winter, uh, Conrad said, the shrew, which we have some shrews here. We and do. They flourish. This is, they are into... They flourish in your shoes. It's like they have... leave outside. <laughs> they do, they do. They, uh, I feel like they have like cousins in Chicago. You right. Know, they like call each other. They write letters. They're like, is, this, letters. is it snowing? That's so crazy. It's just like, it's they just send here. a picture of them just like chilling at the beach. <laughs> They're like, check it out. Uh, <laughs> you guys should come here. It's great. It's great. Jump on some ship and grow. There's like nothing here to kill us. Except for these cats. There's some cats out here. <laughs> this lady has a lot of cats. Yeah. Although I will say that the two cats that I take care of outside who are spayed and neutered, they do not kill shrews. Oh, really? They're not into it. They're... Shrews are scary. That's why. Yeah. Well, they make really loud, creepy noises. I don't like it. Yeah. They like lose it. All right. So Conrad says they have to feed constantly throughout the day and night or they will die because of their metabolism being so high. I do remember when we would go out to the field in Georgia and check the traps for the survey that we were doing mm-hmm. back in the day if there were mice that were in the bucket like we would have to check the traps regularly enough like within 24 hours of opening it you know and then you'd have to make sure everything was sealed up because you wouldn't want some rodent to get in there because it would die so quickly yeah and sometimes i would go you know like maybe it rained really hard we couldn't get out to this one site and we would go and there would be like a little waterlogged mouse all dead Ew. and i would feel really bad about it yeah 
Conrath goes on to say, the mouse-like creature has such a small body size and no way to store fat. So when it gets exposed to the environment, its surface body to environment ratio is so high that it's actually losing a lot more heat than a human would, even if we were to stand outside and naked. Oh, yeah. Let's not do that. Rabbits, on the other hand, if we're talking about mammals, burrow down under the snow where they can stay a lot warmer and out of the wind and cold air. And I'll just mention that I read a number of stories about people who got either stuck on the side of the road. And I know you told a bunch of stories about people who were like snowed in, snowed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that guy that was snowed into his car for like <laughs> months, months. Yeah. And like somehow made it. Yeah. And I was like, remember when they like opened the door? It's how stinky. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> so stinky yeah no i read a number of stories about people who were like trapped someplace or whatever and then they just dug into the snow and made a little burrow and just hung out there and that's what saved them yeah was just being in that kind of insulated Mm -hmm. it's still cold but it's not as cold there's not the wind chill factor so Mm -hmm. rabbits that's kind of what they naturally do they do have to get out and find food though so every day the mission is find food they will feed heavily on any available buds And they'll gnaw at the bark of trees to get to the cambium that will give them some nourishment. In the springtime, you'll find a lot of trees have died because the rabbits have been gnawing away at the Mm nutrient-rich material that's right under the bark, leaving the tree unable to feed itself. So, you know, but rabbits are super cute. They are. I forgive them. (laughs) Conrath goes on to say that while it might be helpful to keep bird feeders filled at this time of year, winter, humans should not try to set out food for other animals. All you're doing is inviting a nuisance to your property. The food that's provided by nature is what they need to continuously eat and survive on. You're just going to have a whole family of raccoons. Just, well, and like a moose. You just don't, don't invite, don't invite, don't invite a moose to your house. Don't. Of all the things, because they will expect Every day, if I feel like, isn't there a book if you give a moose a muffin, or is that the mouse? Maybe it's a mouse. Give you a mouse. <laughs> I don't know, but, but I know that that's what you said. Never feed a moose. Never because then moose. they have really high expectations. Yes, and then they'll moose you to death. <laughs> they will moose you to death. Yeah, he does say that uh, during the winter, it's a nice time to go tracking if you really want to experience wildlife. If you're living in a snowy environment. He kind of talks about that. It goes on. I don't know. It gives you recommendations for how to follow animals or like look for their tracks, which is cute. That's a cute thing. But we don't, you know, that's fine. We don't have to talk about that. He does talk about pets. And I do. There are a number of articles, I think, that I linked in our in the show notes mm-hmm. that talk about things that you could do to help your pet, like dogs, cats, livestock survive the winter, mm-hmm. especially if you find feral animals. You know, there are a lot of things out there for like cats. I mean, dogs, you just, I feel like, just bring them inside your house if it's that cold. But, like, yes. cats, you can make little cat warmy things. Um, some people will put blankets, but the the big suggestion for cat, like, dens, I guess, or uh, cubby holes that they like to hang out in is hay because it doesn't get wet. It will, like, and you can, like, switch it out. But, yeah, I always think about little kitties in cold weather. Yeah, I think about that, and I think about all the people that leave their dogs outside. Chained up or something. Oh. Oh, not cool. Um, He does say that dogs that have health issues such as diabetes, arthritis, and kidney problems can have a harder time uh, handling cold temperatures. So just to remember that when you're taking them outside on their walk, maybe they're going to need like extra layers. So you might want to get them a little little doggy. Yeah, little footy pads and like Mm -hmm. little doggy sweaters Mm -hmm. and jackets. I mean, maybe even your cat. I would I'd be okay with that. There's a lot of really posh uh, outfits for cats. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. 
let's stop talking about animals now. We're going to move on to stories. The first of this little set of stories is in the winter of 2001, 13-month-old Erica Norby. So she's like really young. She woke up in the middle of the night. She was at a family friend's house. Mm -hmm. And she was, at the time that everybody went to bed, she was cuddling with her three-year-old sister and her mother. So they were all sharing like a bed together. Okay. So little Erica wakes up. I assume she like rubs her eyes. She's like a toddler. So she was already walking. She's walking. Barely. Barely. Yeah. Yeah. And she she toddles out. They're Uh in Canada, by the way. Okay. Uh, Winter in Canada, 2001. She was wearing only a diaper and a T-shirt. Okay. She walked out of the house at 3 a.m. How did she get out? Uh, I mean, there's so many questions. So many questions. How do you open a door? She can't reach the knobs. (laughs) I'm assuming this family friend didn't have children and like... Do they leave doors leave open? doors open, right? I don't know. Somehow she gets out. Maybe Crawl she through was, a doggy door? She was a really tall one-year-old, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, so her mother wakes up, notices she's missing, probably went crazy running around the house. I mean, if I woke up and my kid was supposed to be in the bed with me and they were that young, I would be, like, losing it already if I couldn't uh-huh. find them in the house. Okay. Yeah, so many questions. Sorry, yeah. can I continue? No, no, no. When she finally... I'm already so irritated <laughs> the whole thing. When she finally found her daughter, Erica was face down in the snow and frozen stiff. She had been out in the snow for up to four hours. She didn't know for four hours? Yeah. So the paramedics get there. Mm-hmm. They can't insert an IV, right? Because, again, her skin is, like, rock hard. They ended up, like, jamming it. Like warming up a piece of her body or like leg, jamming it straight into her leg bone to run fluid through her bone marrow. Ew, yeah. ouch. They treated her with a warming blanket. Um, I guess the blanket that they use is called a bear hugger, B A I R hugger. Uh, in the emergency room, her heart began to beat again. So it was not beating mm-hmm. when they found her. She eventually made a full recovery. Quote, as long as they cool off fast enough, the body ends up having enough oxygen in the various parts of the body, such as the brain. That's Alan D. Kane, MD, who led the ER team. He told that to ABC News. It's like being in a state of suspended animation. So basically, she froze just enough to not destroy things, but also to maintain her oxygen levels so that her organs retain their vitality. So when she thawed out, she just started up again. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but for four hours and Only she's... Only a sister's love. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, I, I was really surprised at like, yeah, how did she get out of the house? There's so many questions, but so I agree. For maybe... four hours and also like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm. no judgment, but yeah. but lots of judgment. Sorry. <laughs> but lots of... Ju- you know what? Erica was drinking. <laughs> she... <laughs> the baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was she drunk? <laughs> she was drunk. It was crazy. No, I'm glad that she was... I'm glad she was okay. No, thank God. Like, I'm sure her mom but was like really just... Put some locks, like make sure doors are closed. Yes, yes. Maybe she went out a dog. That's why, seriously, a doggy, doggy door, door. could mm-hmm. have been very likely. I could see that yeah. happening, being that small. And I know I've told you this before that my friend Lucy in uh, Honolulu, she has a kitty door that only lets her cat. Oh, with, with the, the chip. chip. Yes. Yeah. So it's always locked unless uh-huh. the chip activates it. Uh-huh. So I'm just saying. Prevent your small children from getting outside through an animal door by getting a, like a smart door. Yes, that doesn't. Yeah, I guess unless you. But chip this your was kid. in what two thousand one. Yeah, it probably, probably didn't. Exist. Probably, didn't. <laughs> probably wasn't around. I'm just gonna say that the mom was, was very tired. 
exhausted. She was at a friend's house, right? Well, she, she's got a three-year-old, too. It's like three-year-old sister, 18. They were asleep. Or three, yeah, 13 so months old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was staying at somebody's house. She's they were exhausted. sleeping on a mattress on the floor, so yeah. she didn't feel... I'm giving her all the benefit of the doubt All here. the benefit. I'm just yeah. glad the baby was okay. Yes, yes. All right, you want to hear this next story? Yes. This is about a 29-year-old Swedish radiologist. Her name is Anna Bagenholm. Mm-hmm. She went for a day of skiing with her friends, and she would never expect that it would nearly claim her life, Jen. Oh. It's 1999, and she ended up slipping down a hill, and she fell headfirst into a frozen lake. Ew. Yes. Wow, her head broke into the lake? Yeah. What's even crazier? So her friends are trying to pull her out by her skis, right? But they couldn't. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Did I just laugh? I'm sorry. It's okay. It's not I know, funny the, at the all. Imi- I totally understand. It's, it's not funny It's just very at all, cartoonish. Like the, the image is just, yeah. Yes. Uh, but they couldn't get her back on land. So actually she was, for 40 minutes, she was conscious under the ice, but like in a pocket of air. So she was like kind of submerged, but also not. Eventually, her body gave in to the hyperthermia. There was a pocket of air? A pocket of air where her head was so she could breathe in this pocket, but she was like in the water. But I'm sure she had like a concussion if she broke through. Guaranteed. Yeah. Oh. Yes. When she was finally pulled from the lake, I'm assuming there were some like emergency responders that came and got her out. She was nearly frozen solid. Her core temperature was 56 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like, what is that? Like over 30 degrees ish, uh, like lower than it should be. Uh huh. Quote on the electrocardiogram, which the doctor on the helicopter had connected her to, there was a completely flat line. You could have drawn it with a ruler. No signs of life whatsoever. The attending physician, Mads Gilbert, told CNN. At the hospital, doctors hoped her body had frozen slowly enough to allow her brain to survive the lack of oxygen. They pumped her blood through a warming device. So basically it was like, I think they were like blood transfusion. They were just like pump out the blood, put it through something warming, put it back in her body. That's wild. Warm. Yeah. And then they used some warm leeches. (laughs) (laughs) Just warm everything up. Yeah. The doctors were stunned when she, her heart began to beat. It took over a year for her to overcome nerve damage from being frozen, but she made a complete recovery. I thought you were going to say it took over a year until she like, I don't know, woke up or something. Came alive. I was like, that's a long time. No, what they, what they found with these cases is that once they've warmed them up to a certain point, Mm -hmm. people just kind of like reanimate. That's so crazy. Yeah. Our next one is out of Japan. This is Mitsutaka Uchikoshi, 35. This may be the only known case of human hibernation, and this story is freaking insane. October 2006, mm-hmm. Uchikoshi fell down a steep mountain slope while walking home alone from a work outing. He then broke his pelvis, slipping into <gasps> a stream. Yeah. Ouch. Doctors think that he lost consciousness a day later. So he was just like, awake but i like, couldn't oh, do anything no. Uh, no one's really sure because actually he wasn't found until 24 days later when there were hikers who found his body yeah during that time uh, he had endured temperatures that dipped to 50 degrees fahrenheit his body temperature had fallen to 72 degrees fahrenheit and when the hikers found him he was suffering from organ fail- failure and had like a very tiny pulse like barely a pulse. Shinichi Sato, the doctor, said he fell into a state of similar to hibernation and many of his organs slowed, but his brain was protected. He made a full recovery. How many days? 24. 24. No food, no water? No food, no water, I guess. Yeah, but frozen. 
but frozen. Was he conscious at all for... It says he lost consciousness that next day. So he was, for that long, just out. What? Yes. That is insane. Yes. Oh, my gosh. You know, you think about those and you and when people are missing or things happen, you can mm-hmm. see why people, you should never lose hope. You should never lose hope. Yeah. Because yeah. 24 days later, so I'm sure people totally were fine. looking for him. Oh, yeah. I feel like in 24 days you would have searched. Yeah. They wouldn't have found him. People would have been like, we don't know what happened. Like he's going to be lost forever. Uh-huh. And then just some hikers found him. He was coming from a party. He was coming from a party. Let me just tell you, I've been to Japan several times. <laughs> yes. They know how to party. <laughs> he was actually coming from the karaoke bar. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they party hard and there's no, they don't hide it or anything. Right. They're just like in the street, super drunk. Like, I'm going to vomit. You know, they vomit in a trash can. They're like, eh, and then they keep partying. Yeah. I'm telling you. Oh, no. I ha- we had the one Japanese roommate. She, yeah, they could party. They can party. And I'm, I couldn't, I mean, it's like, I really want to live in Japan, right? Yeah. But I would have to only hang out not with, like, be able to keep up. really old ladies. Yeah. I, I mean, probably they party, too. And they go all night, yeah, karaoke, yeah. karaoke, drinking beers. I can't do it. That's like when we were. But it's so fun if yeah, you're into it. A hundred percent. That's like if when we were in Peace Corps and I went out with my host sisters and it was just like all night long. Yeah. And I thought I was going to die. And, and at 11 o'clock, like, you're like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm like, are we going home? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In an hour. <laughs> we didn't get home until like five. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, I'm not saying that insane. he was drunk. I'm yeah, just saying. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. I'm just saying. Plausible. Plausible. 100%. That story is insane. I'm so glad yeah. he was okay. Yes. All right. Our next Wild. story is in 2011. This is Stella Bernston. She went outside to play. She was She's seven years old. Okay. Uh, and she disappeared. What happened was she fell over a sea cliff and vanished. <gasps> her parents, Peter and Anika Bernston, frantically searched for her with neighbors until they found footsteps leading to the edge of the cliff and into the sea below. Wait, where is this? In Sweden. In okay. A place, yeah, an island called Lear. It is south of, uh, and I don't really know where this is, Gothenburg? Okay. Yeah. Totally. Sweden. I totally know where that is. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, the Coast Guard... And helicopters spotted her pink jacket floating in the waters. And her parents were like, it was the death announcement we waited for. Mm. So sad. We knew, of course, that she must have been in the water a long time. The rescue started CPR on the way. So they did find her body. They uh, started CPR on the way to the hospital. They assumed that it was futile. They were like, "This, why are we even doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, her body temperature was 55.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh. Doctors gave the parents little hope of their daughter's recovery. But after only 12 hours of slowly warming her, she opened and closed her eyes. And two weeks later, she spoke again. After two months of rehabilitation, she made a full recovery. That's like back from the dead. You yes. Know? Yes. Like miraculous. It is. Mm-hmm. This uh, last story mm-hmm. I kind of saved because I, I thought it was also kind of insane. Mm-hmm. So there's this guy, Don Smith. He's driving down the street in the morning, like kind of close to his house. And he sees boots poking out of the snow. Just like the toes of the boots peeking out from a drift along the side of, of a road. And he stops his car. This is in the U.S. This is in the U.S. He stops the car. Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say Don Smith. That's not <laughs> yeah. Sweden. Not Sweden. Um, he's Japanese. No. <laughs> he gets out because he had been looking for his son because he never came home the night before. Oh, no. He says, I looked over there and there was Justin laying there. He was blue. His face was lifeless. I checked for a pulse. I checked for a heartbeat. There was nothing. 
The 25-year-old had been lying in the cold for nearly 12 hours. It was five degrees below zero and snowing. When the emergency personnel arrived, they couldn't find signs of life either. Someone draped a sheet over his body, like white sheet, like this is call the coroner. Right. They called the coroner. Coroner came to the scene. The state police started to work on a death investigation. Uh-huh. But Don, his dad, called Justin's mother. He's like, you know, I'm so sorry he's gone. Like, I don't know what we should do. When they took him to the hospital, there was this like attending physician, Gerald Coleman. Mm-hmm. And he was on duty at Lehigh Valley Hospital early in the morning. This is February 21st of 2015. He said, my clinical thought is very simple. You have to be warm to be dead. It's like that thought, right? Yes. Coleman told the standard speaker in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Coleman ordered paramedics to stop uh, to start performing CPR on this man who had no pulse, no blood pressure, by all appearances, had taken his last his last breath a day before, like half a day before. And almost a year later, uh, Justin Smith, his son, held a press conference to thank him, the doctor. Oh, my gosh. Like, That's amazing. Smith's improbable survival tales, a story from the cutting edge of emergency medicine and indeed the edge of life itself, thanks to a new technology and an ever-evolving understanding of what it means to be dead, doctors are increasingly able to bring, quote, frozen people back from the brink. And they're starting to take advantage of the same mechanisms that allow the body to withstand seemingly lethal cold to save a whole host of other patients, victims of gunshot wounds, heart attacks, and spinal injuries, premature babies on the verge of brain damage who might otherwise be considered beyond rescue. So they so, weren't like, immediately start the autopsy while he's still cold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. good and cold. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. No. Th- that doctor was like, he just knew. Like, yeah. no, this guy's got to be warm. To- Let's warm him up. Yeah. See if he's alive. Uh, the crazy. secret that saves Smith and countless others lies in the way the body slows down as it gets colder. We talked about that a little bit earlier. They're, they do have a little thing in here from Outside Magazine saying metabolism slows by about 5 or 7% for every 1 degree Celsius drop in body temperature. So at 35 degrees Celsius, just 2 degrees below normal, a person will begin to shiver uncontrollably. At 32, their lips will turn blue and their speech will slur. At 28, they'll lose consciousness. By the time their temperature plunges to 15 to 20 degrees range, their heart will stop beating altogether. I mean, that's kind of freaky, but -hmm. also it could save your life. Because when a person's body chills at the right rate, like we've been talking about, metabolic processes will slow down and they will remain in kind of like this virality, Mm -hmm. like able to be revived. Also, because your cells are super lethargic, they don't need so much oxygen. So they're just kind of like chilling out. (laughs) I didn't mean to say (laughs) that, but it was perfect. Pun Um, intended. Pun intended. So, what had happened is the night before, he was walking home from an evening out with friends. <clears throat> it was around 9.30 p.m., February 20th. Oh, that's early. Yeah, it was early. I mean, so in some article, it said, like, he had only a couple of drinks. Yeah. But I don't know. He ended up tripping. He thinks he tripped. He's not really sure what happened. Uh-huh. He fell into the snow, and that's where he just got, like, covered with snow. There was, like, snowfall. Uh-huh. He just got covered with the snow and just, like, you know, frozen there, like a little popsicle. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, no one wants to say they were drunk. No. I mean, I don't know. If, if that happened to me, I'd be, I'd like, be like, I was sloshed. I'd be I don't like, know I what was, happened. I must have hit my head. Yeah, I wouldn't want to say. I tripped. My shoelaces were untied. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, he ended up holding a press conference. They took pictures together, him and Dr. Coleman, which I thought was super cool. That is Doctor, cool. Yeah, Dr. Coleman said, something inside me just said, I need to give this person a chance. He said, this is probably going to be a futile effort. But I think we need to do our best for him, okay? That's what he ended up telling. <laughs> he told okay. the, he told the uh, paramedics, who I'm assuming, like when he was like, "You guys, let's start CPR." They were like, "Bro," <laughs> he's like, "I'm the doctor." They're like, "Do really? as I say." 
So they said that they actually did CPR. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier for two hours. Wow. Yeah. And then they flew him through a snowstorm to another hospital where he was then pumped with warm oxygenated blood using a treatment called extracorporeal membrane oxygenation or ECMO, thank God. And that's when his heart started to beat on its own. So there are a number of these cases where that happened. So there's, I think there was someone a little bit earlier who also had that um, yes. in Sweden, right? I think that was a girl yeah, in Sweden. Yeah. But yeah, I think the only thing they were really worried about was like, what is his brain going to be like when he comes out of this? Like, did he have enough oxygen for his brain to be working? Conventional medical wisdom says that the human brain can withstand just four minutes without oxygen before cells begin to die. But that's if you you live in Guam. Well, yeah, if you live in Guam, but if you're frozen, (laughs) that's unconventional. That's not (laughs) conventional. So he was in a coma, I guess, for two weeks. So he woke up from his coma two weeks later. He was disoriented and weak, but his brain was unharmed. In the end, the night in the snow cost Smith his toes and both pinkies. So he did have some frostbite, frostbite, but incredibly not his life. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. That is wild. Yeah. He ended up going home in the 1st of May. So it was February that this happened. 1st of May went home. And he then went to Penn State and finished his degree in psychology. He says he considers himself a miracle. I do too. Yeah. I consider you a miracle. But the the Japanese guy, that one I still haven't. I can't I want to know more about that, yeah. that story. Those were I just took little clips from. Yeah. But yeah, it's an interesting story. If right? you had, If this was a top five, that's number one. Yeah, I think so. Because that's just wild. That's wild. Super wild. Yeah. So they d- there's a 2012 review article in the New England Journal of Medicine that found that 50% of hypothermia patients who were treated with ECMO recovered, even if they had been in cardiac arrest for an extended period of time. If those patients became hypothermic before their oxygen levels dropped too low, they could even escape most long-term damage. So really, it's like that perfect combination of like good oxygen in your blood and mm-hmm. freezing just at the right time. So your brain is like retaining everything, but also just like suspended animation. But that's the thing that it seems like with most of them that it's they're frozen for a short amount of time. Right. But the guy in Japan was frozen for like 24 days. But it wasn't that cold. It was like 50 degrees. Right. right? Fahrenheit. So it's like it was just enough to Mm -hmm. keep him suspended for that period of time. Yes. And like I would assume consistent. Like it had to be the right. Yeah. Yeah, There could have been like a warm day. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. What's interesting about all of this is that ECMO isn't something that that every hospital is like trained to use. Like not every ER doctor is going to say you're not dead until you're warm and dead. Like uh-huh. some people will get a frozen body in and be like that guy's dead. That's it. That's it. And send him to the morgue. So it's there's, you know, a lack of standardization across hospitals and institutions. And, mm-hmm. you know, that should be something that that doctors are talking about. Like, how do we heal? I, don't, I can't think of a better word like hypothermia. Like, how right. do you treat this? Just something to think about for all you doctors out there. Yeah. For all the millions of doctors that listen to us, warm and dead. All of you warm and dead. Listen, listen. Just- I guess their mantra, but also back in 2014, there were some surgeons who were experimenting with pumping saline solutions into the um, arteries of critical patients to bring down their body temperature. So like that that could be like gunshot or knife victims Mm -hmm. or whatever. So that's kind of like a similar method, like bring their body temperature down, try to slow the process of them dying and then fix whatever they need to fix, which I think is interesting. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. There's this surgeon, uh, Samuel Tisherman who says, uh, we are suspending life, but we don't like to call it suspended animation because it sounds like science fiction. So we call it emergency preservation and resuscitation. Oh, hmm. there you go. And it, it makes me think of like when doctors put people into comas 
you know, like it's a medically induced coma because they just want the brain to not be exposed to any more trauma. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, okay, we're just going to like, you're just going to take a nap Yep. (laughs) for a few weeks. We'll wake you back up when it's better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, they're just like buying time to do some, some stuff. Right. Along those same lines, I just want to talk a little bit about cryonics real quick. Do you know what cryonics is? Is that like what Disney wanted to do to be preserved? <laughs> is that like in The Simpsons, all the heads that are like floating yes. in the things? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, cryonics coming from the Greek cryos, meaning cold. Mm-hmm. What, what? It's the low temperature freezing, usually negative 196 degrees Celsius or negative 320.8 degrees Fahrenheit or 77.1 Kelvin. It's the freezing and storage of human remains with the speculative hope that resurrection may be possible in the future. So fun fact, the Society for Cryobiology, which is not cryonics, but like cryo, like microbiologists who work in freezing stuff, mm-hmm. right? They actually reject members who practice cryonics. And they issued a public statement saying that cryonics is, quote, not science and that it is a, quote, personal choice how people want to have their dead bodies disposed of. Yikes. Okay. Very uh, harsh language. Back in 1967, the first person was cryogenically frozen. His name is James H. Bedford. You should totally go read about him. Mm-hmm. He's like a psychologist, I think. Mm-hmm. A professor, maybe. Uh, he was 72 or 73 at the time. And today, there are about 250 people, mostly American, and pets, pets, Jen, who have been cryogenically frozen, either whole body or just their brain. And apparently, there are some 1,500 additional people who have signed up for the procedure when they die. Wow. Yeah. So I am definitely in the camp of non-believers in this kind of science. I think it's harmful to like, to me, it seems like a money grab. Yeah. Just based on some of the stuff that I was reading about. It's very science fiction-y. And I totally get the idea that we want to do things that like maybe in the future we're going to be able... There are lots of things that have been like crazy ideas before. Mm -hmm. But this to me feels very like people just giving up their life insurance money or whatever to be, I mean, almost mutilated. I don't know. I watched a process. Like they actually show it on this one. I oh, watched really? a 60 what did minutes. They do? Yeah, 60 minutes Australia did a um so I, I did watch a number of videos. Some of them were like very promotionally like selling you on it. And some of them that I watched two that I really liked in particular was an six, Australian one. Yeah, 60 minutes Australia. Do you want to be cryogenically <laughs> frozen? No. <laughs> <laughs> And one BBC quick reel that showed both sides of the argument. So I liked I liked both of those because they really presented, you know, like here are what these people who are doing cryogenics think or um, cryonics think. Uh-huh. And here are what bi- microbiologists think is even possible. Because we were talking about freezing someone insanely cold. Like this is so far below. It's like getting to the point of like freezer burn. Yeah. I mean, honestly. So essentially, directly after someone is legally pronounced dead. So it can't be before they're legally pronounced dead. Like mm-hmm. that is the the marker for this. Because I assume that you're Warm going, and dead. Yeah. It's like maybe because they can't go into like euthanasia. Mm-hmm. They can't use this process as a way to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely would. 100% kill you. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> Which is insane. So once they're legally pronounced dead, they're put on, literally put on ice. Okay. And they're taken to one of four. So there are three facilities in the U.S., one in Russia, where their blood is replaced with a cryo 
protectant. Essentially, this is an antifreeze. It is a toxic chemical that they pump into your body. They remove the blood. They pump all that in. Mm -hmm. Um, They say that's to protect the vital organs and cells. And then you are put into like this metal container. There's kind of like an insulating thing around your body. And then they put you in a metal container and then they drop you into a liquid nitrogen bath and that liquid nitrogen gets replaced daily. So it doesn't require power because it has liquid nitrogen in it. But when I watched the video of this woman in the U.S. who had a number of cancers, she died from cancer. Her body was put on ice. They took her body and then they actually you watch her be injected with like the solution. It made me feel really uncomfortable. And then yeah, yes. And they kind of like it's so it's so Dr. Frankenstein. Um they put like this thing to kind of hold your head in place like they they like put these little screws to hold your head in place. Uh-huh. You know, and then there are sensors that are jammed into her skull. Like literally they're drilling into her skull to insert sensors that will monitor her brain activity because when they put this cryoprotectant in, they're taking all of the water out of the body. So actually parts of her body started to kind of like cave in like the top of her skull because they were taking out the mass of the brain. So like the brain actually shrinks inside the skull. Uh So they can't. The thing is that they are definitely destroying cells Uh in this process, like this massive amount of coldness. Yes. As much as they're saying like this, I don't think it's possible just based on what microbiologists are saying. And I kind of believe them a little bit more is that I don't think it's possible for this toxic chemical to save your cells enough for you to eventually be revived. Like we're not talking about these other situations where people were not completely frozen, just a little bit above frozen. Right. Yeah. And they never got those ice crystals. Mm -hmm. Right. It's so weird to me. Anyway. Well, all of the people who signed up for this must know exactly what's going to happen. I'm sure they they watch the video and they're like, cool, cool. I'm okay with that. They're fine with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I guess for me, I'm like, absolutely not. That's for sure a personal choice. You know, and there are a couple of the kind of salesy pitches they give you is that like this is for people who live for adventure, you know, like they want to be on the cutting edge of of like science and uh-huh. whatever. How much does it cost? So it's 80000 for just your brain. They keep part of your skull into two like the big um, veins that come so out. So then what does that do? Like, they're going to put your brain in another body? No, no. I mean, okay. Like, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> and then for your full body, it's like $160,000, $200,000. The way they pitch it to you is, like, your life insurance will pay for this. You don't have to pay up front. You pay for it when you die through your life insurance. Okay. But my thing is, like, what if the life insurance check doesn't come? Like, you know, like, how are you? <laughs> Maybe you do have to pay up front. I don't know. But how long does that guarantee that you're going to be there? Indefinitely, apparently. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I know, right? Mm-hmm. So the guy who was frozen, James Bedford, when he was frozen in 1967, his body was kind of moved around to different places. His family had it for a while because it's like, and then eventually he was put into, it's this company called, I think it was Alcor or Alcon or something like that. Mm. Um, they're the ones Al-Gore. who do, <laughs> they're the ones who do this. They have his body now in one of these more modern tubes, but they said they analyzed like his physical being like, I mean, the way they were doing cryonics in 1967 is obviously uh-huh. not up to today's standards of cryonics. So he was more deteriorated in some ways. Like his cells weren't exactly the same way as people who get it done today. Uh, is what they were saying. So he but looks pretty funky. You physically look kind of the same. I mean, because they dip you in liquid nitrogen. So you just you're just frozen. But the baths, quote unquote, the baths that they drop you in. Um, they're basically like these huge aluminum vats. I mean, they look like a 
beers, you know, like how they uh-huh. like process beer and they can hold up to four bodies in one space. Okay. And then there's a tube that can go down the middle that can hold an additional five brains. That's so morbid. It's so morbid. Okay. Um, but there's actually, like I said, there's the, the whole process to me seems really invasive and damaging. But supporters of, of cryonics say that in the future, there'll be things like nanotechnology that will be able to repair the kinds of damage that they're doing when they're freezing the body in this way. So I think they're banking on in the future, there's going to be this amazing technology that's going to fix all the things. It's going to fix the cancer, you know, that uh-huh, killed the person. Uh-huh. It's going to fix whatever they did to freeze the person in place, you know, all of that business. They but must not believe in like climate re- change? reincarnation. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> I think they uh, there's some there's some little I mean not really statistics but just like there is a higher percentage of patients who are like white males typically in like higher IQ but like they think they're all that. Y- yes. They're like my brain is Amazing. there will never be another one like this. I'm about to tell you something. That because like, I would oh, be God. like my brain can just go it's fine. Yeah. And and there's <laughs> like, actually totally fine. So there was this comedian in Australia who wants to who at the time of the interview on 60 minutes Australia was alive. I don't know if he's dead now but he wants to do it but his wife was like absolutely I'm not going to do that. Like I'm not interested in that. I don't want to do it. You know, and She's he's like, like but I want to live forever. Like it's yeah. it's people chasing that immortality or you know, they don't want to experience death. And to me I feel like death is just a part. It's just a part of life. Yeah. It's just this, it's a cycle. It's it a is. thing that it happens. Is. That's totally right. fine. This feels very unnatural to me. But I will say this, though. Medical science does currently use something similar to smaller organs and cells. So if you think about like a sperm bank or an egg bank, what are they doing? They're putting in liquid nitrogen. They're keeping it for right. years and years and years. And there are babies who are born. I mean, just recently, there was mm-hmm. like a, some twins that were born. It was like 40-year-old Embryo eggs or, or yeah. eggs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Organ donations are frozen They're from recently deceased individuals mm-hmm. are frozen, thawed, put into another person, work perfectly fine. And there are also experiments going on with smaller mammals in laboratories where, like, they'll remove a kidney from a rabbit, they'll freeze it, they'll thaw it, and put it back into the rabbit, and then see what happens. Totally normal for the life of that rabbit. I mean, I would not want to be that rabbit, but yeah, that rabbit's like, screw you guys, <sighs> really shitty. So yeah. Are those things happening? Is cryogenics, Mm -hmm. you know, like, is that 100%? But are we at the point where you can preserve a person, a full functioning body with many systems and organs and complicated Mm -hmm. stuff going on for 100 years? Like, to me, that's very questionable. Well, you never know, right? You never know. 100 years ago, they wouldn't think we'd be like... Having a podcast. (laughs) Doing all these things on a phone. Yeah, that would be witchcraft. Oh, for sure. You know, so yeah, you never know. You never know. It just to me, it's so like, you must think you're some hot shit to be able to like, I got to come. You better preserve me because they're, I'm really something else. You want to hear? My brain is so cool. (laughs) Right. I'm amazing. Uh, Do you want to hear some people who've been cryogenically frozen? Okay. Yeah. Baseball players, Ted Williams and his son, John Henry Williams in 2002 and 2004, respectively. Mm-hmm. They were frozen. Engineer and Dr. L. Stephen Coles in 2014. Economist and entrepreneur Phil Salen. Software engineer Hal Finney in 2014. And then there are some people who have arranged for cryonics upon death. PayPal founders, Luke Nosek and Peter Thiel. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, Oxford transhumanists Nick Bostrom and Anders Sandberg, transhumanist philosopher David Pierce, Larry King, previously arranged for cryonics, but according to Inside Edition, he later changed his mind. Uh And then this one is so disgusting to me. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein wanted to have his head and penis frozen after death so that he could, quote, seed the human race with his DNA. Oh, what a piece of shit. Ew. Disgusting. I hope that didn't happen. No, it didn't. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, But urban legend that is not true. Walt Walt Disney's corpse was not cryonically preserved. It was cremated and interred at Forest Lawn Memorial Park Cemetery. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I guess a lot of people. <laughs> they thought that his head is just like something. Well, and th- to me, all of these people, they just are—they're not using their life. I mean, maybe they are, but they're mm. just that rich. Yeah, you just have like that much money, and they're just like, yeah, why not? Let's just do it. Just throw two hundred thousand towards that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really a drop in the bucket for some like PayPal founder. Oh, for sure. I mean, come on, for sure. Mm-hmm. Our fees are paying them to be cryogenic. Larry King is one that I could picture on The Simpsons, <laughs> and one of the heads is still talking. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Because they had all the <laughs> all the hits, yeah. yeah. No, no, that wasn't. It was Futurama. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yes, sorry, you're right. I'm you're getting right. them mixed up. Futurama was amazing. A great. That was such a great. show. I think kind of like uh, not. I feel like people really discounted Futurama. They like, did, it but it's great. Long. It's so, so good. Fun. It's so funny. Plus, it has a uh, you know. Um, why can't I think of her name? But from Married with Children. Yes, Pam. Pam. <laughs> Pam Bundy. Why can't I think of her name? I can see her face in my head. Anyway. I know. I can't think of it either. She was like a cyclops. Yeah. Right? So good. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, that's how much I wanted to delve into this whole cryonics thing. Uh, basically, what happened was when I was looking up, quote, frozen and back to life uh-huh. in Google, it was like cryonics was like everywhere. Oh, yeah. It was unavoidable. And I hadn't even thought about it. I was like, what? So, I mean... Part of me is like, well, really what you guys need to do is just like look at these examples of people being brought back to life and freeze people that way. Seems like. But I wonder how like how long it would last. Right. I'm sure they're doing studies on poor animals. Guaranteed. Um, You know what it made me think of was the polar bear plunge people. Yeah. The groups of people like all over the world. They have different names or whatever. But the people (laughs) who just jump in cold Cold water. water. Mm hmm. And then they come out. They're like, "What? It was pretty." <laughs> yeah. They like scream, running like in, so much dopamine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if I could do that. I would do it. I would try it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not going to like kill you. Just jump in, get out. I right. mean, I've jumped in some pretty cold water before. Yeah, yeah. In Washington. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds cold. Let me just real quick tell you five ways to keep from getting frostbite. You know, because oh yeah, it's important. Uh, dress totally. in dress in layers of loose, warm clothing. Okay. Don't wear wool. Don't wear don't wear wool. We learned that in an earlier yes. episode. Uh, wear a hat that allows you to cover your ears. Very important. Mm. Wear mittens instead of gloves and socks, ideally with liners. So I'm sorry, instead of gloves. And you should also wear socks. Not you shouldn't wear socks. You should be wearing socks. But I did see this interesting thing. There's like a woman who lives in Alaska and she did like a TikTok where she was like, get ready with me, mm-hmm. right? To go outside to check the mail or something. And <laughs> she put on gloves and then mittens. And I was like, oh, that's smart. Yeah. I like it. Do both. Yeah. Some isotoners. Isotoners. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, I don't know. just I, making a joke because we've been, we've been gone that long, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I was showing my because my son was like, Well, what do you want for Christmas? And I was like, Oh, I, I really want these isotoner slippers. Oh, yeah, right? right. And he was like, Ice donors. <laughs> and I was like, Okay. All right. All right. Calm down. Not funny. Uh, it also says to carry hand and foot warmers. Okay, when I was in ba- oh, when I was yeah. in marching band and it was winter time and we would be marching in like it's Christmas holiday parades, mm-hmm. we would have like those ones that you break and you put them oh, like yeah. inside your gloves. 
and they were the best. Yeah, yeah. I would just, I would like hoard them. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have just, they're so hot. Your hands are like so hot. Yeah. It's burning up. So good. One very important reminder to avoid getting frostbite. Do not drink alcohol before going outside, which I feel like that's kind of hard. That's hard. That's it's, a hard one. You know what? It's the holiday season. <laughs> gotta <laughs> little, enjoy. Little eggnog. Little nip here and there. A little extra something. Come on. Little Baileys. Gotta, gotta do <laughs> just a little something. But just take mm-hmm. it easy. How mm-hmm. about that? Take it easy. Take it easy. Come on. <laughs> It also says to do exercises to keep your blood flowing, such as jumping jacks, which Ah. totally reminds me of Everest with that one Korean guy who was just like pounding his legs and singing songs like disco songs. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Anyway. All right. Organization to support is the National Association of Search and Rescue, Inc. www.nasar, N-A-S-A-R, so like NASCAR with no C, dot org. They are not rated on Charity Navigator, but they did on Charity Navigator get a 95% score on accountability. So I was like, that's cool as crap. Mm -hmm. So it's a national association in the U.S. They've been in existence since 1972, originally started to represent the state search and rescue coordinators. NASAR grew to represent all search and rescue volunteers and continues to support the state search and rescue coordinators committee. S-S-A-R-C-C, my God. Uh, NASAR uses standards developed by ASTM, NFPA, DHS, FEMA. I don't know any of those other than FEMA. And other respected bodies to build education courseware, publications, and certifications. Government agencies and nonprofit search and rescue teams use NASAR's materials and certifications to build credentialing programs for their organizations and produce highly skilled searchers that work within their communities and are available for mutual aid regionally and nationally. NASAR is a Virginia nonprofit and federal 501c3, which welcomes your donations to assist us in training searchers for your community. And I thought it was important that we choose them because they are looking at things like the body has to be warm before it's dead. You know, like yes. these are the people who are going to get to the, the bodies first mm-hmm. and say like, all right, like, let's do CPR anyway. You know, mm-hmm. let's just do what we can. Like, don't put the white sheet over them. Yeah. Yeah. So. That uh, kind of makes me think of, I know you're going to ask me about the emergency preparedness kit. Yeah, yeah. That like anytime <laughs> you're out in, in, the, in people who live in cold areas and you're out, you know, having some drinks with some friends, mm-hmm. get a little sign that you pin to yourself or it's on you that just says not dead yet. Right. In case yeah. anything happens. That's not bad. Is that, is that what your item is going to be? Gonna I think it's going to be that. Great. Yeah. yeah. So no, wherever you go. Like a patch? You yeah. Just like sew it onto a, your jacket? A patch or, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're in a, if you're in a hurry, just, you know, a little piece of cardboard. Not dead Around yet. your neck. Not dead yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like those emergency bracelets for people who have like <laughs> type one diabetes. Yes. Or, yeah. They're just like, yeah. Yeah. Not dead yet. Not dead yet. <laughs> Am I warm? <laughs> <laughs> If not, what's not my dead. temperature? Not yeah. dead yet. <laughs> I don't know what you would call that, right? But some somehow it would be like a. It's almost like a DNR, right? Do not resuscitate mm-hmm. note, but like do resuscitate, right? N D Y N D Y N D Y card. Yes. not dead yet. Yes, yeah. I, like I think it. that's what you need no, anytime no, you're going to go out drinking and, and, and it's, it's cold. cold. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there you go. I like that a lot. That's great. <laughs> Jen, you came up with that so quickly. I didn't even have a chance to ask you. I'm sorry. It just it just kind of popped in your brain. It popped in my brain and it just was there it was. You're like, it has to happen. 
No. Right. I, I like it. I like it. It's really good. Thanks for that. That was really interesting. Yeah. I always think about that because, you know, I think about, I feel like there's a movie and I can't think of it and everybody out there, here's another one that you're going to be yelling at us. But I feel like there was some movie mm-hmm. about, because I hardly watch movies and I'm always distracted, <laughs> about some kid that fell in like a water and was like frozen. And then he came out and they were at the hospital and the mom was like, he's not, he's going to live. And then he came back to life and they're like, it's a miracle. Oh. But it was like based on a true story. Anyone? Anyone? I don't know why, but the boy who could fly is like the thing that popped in my brain, <laughs> which is not that movie. That's not that movie. No, but there's something about, you know, there's been a lot of kids or people who have fallen in frozen water mm-hmm. and for too long. Yeah. And they lived because yeah. it was uh, frozen. They got so cold. Yeah. That they were able to resuscitate them. So I know I've heard of stories like that, but... I have not heard these stories. Well, I guess if uh, you know what movie Jen's talking about, <laughs> let us know. Let us know. She's going to be like so many people. Yeah. Yeah. People who watch movies and remember them. I can't remember anything ever. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. Oh, <laughs> somebody let her know. Oh, man. I'm going to have to watch it. I'm going to go search for it now. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your holiday week. Yes. We'll be back um, after New Year's with a new episode. 2023. What? what? I can't yeah. even believe it's 20. It seems like we should be, yeah, jetpacking it around. And seems stuff. like we should already be cryogenically frozen. <laughs> yeah. When, when you think about Re- reanimation, should already be happening. Like, what's going on? <laughs> it's taking so long. Right? Get those nanobots it seems together. Far away. Yeah. But here we are. Enjoy. Don't Good drink times. too much. Don't fall on any snow. <laughs> yeah. During your new year, right? Happy New Year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year. Put your card on. <laughs> Get your NDY card ready to go. Yeah. All right. Good luck. You're Gonna Die Out There is produced by us, Jen and Megan, and edited by Jonathan Pillsbury. We'd love it if you can leave us a five-star iTunes review on Apple Podcasts. You can support us by following on Instagram or Twitter, listening and subscribing wherever you get podcasts, or becoming a patron. Check out more on our website at youregonnadieoutthere.com, where you can see our awesome eco-friendly sponsors and Nature Nerd Artisans page. If you'd like to send us your own stories or episode ideas, you can submit them through our contact form on the website or to our email, you're going to die out there at gmail.com. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.